All right, welcome to Sunday School. We're going through Micah in our Sunday School Hour. Today we'll be in chapter 3. Micah chapter 3. And we'll begin by reading verses... Oh, we're going to read the whole chapter today. But don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. Micah chapter 3. And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment, who hate the good and love the evil, who pluck off their skin from off them, and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people, and flay their skin from off them, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces as for the pot, and as flesh within the cauldron. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them, he will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Therefore night shall be unto you, that ye shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you, that ye shall not divine. And the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Then shall the seers be ashamed, and the diviners confounded. Yea, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer of God. But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment, of might, to declare unto Jacob his transgressions, and to Israel his sin. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob, and princes of the house of Israel, that abhor judgment and pervert all equity, They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof for reward and the priests thereof teach for hire. And the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet they will lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Therefore shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall become heaps. And the mountain of the house as the high places of the forest. If you're reading your Bible through this year, you can now check off Micah chapter 3. You're welcome. All right. So we find in this chapter that God, through his prophet Micah, is addressing leadership. The the princes are addressed first. Then the prophets. And then finally, the priest. There was corruption in all three levels of leadership. The government was absolutely corrupt. It was not functioning as God commanded. Generally speaking, when you have corrupt leadership, you get along with that corrupt teachers. They go hand in hand. When you have corruption in leadership and corruption among those who are teachers, you get great wickedness in the land and it just spreads. Leaders in Israel were not only to lead politically, but they were to lead spiritually. And you had, even before Israel, you had a king priest in Melchizedek. You had this idea of a king who would rule in righteousness. And God had developed it so that the leaders would be in the law of God. That was the intent. And that they would also be teachers of the law of God and make sure the nation stayed on firm footing. From the king down, they were to elevate God's law in the land. They were to execute justice among the people. But instead, they were using their positions of power 
to take advantage of people. And we understand that. I think we can see some of that today. Instead of listening to the cases in, in the place of judgment concerning their houses and lands, which we looked at already in Micah, instead of ruling correctly there, they were corrupt to the point where they were receiving bribes. They were robbing people of their heritage. They were taking what belonged uh, to them from the Lord. And instead of rebuking the sinfulness which had permeated the land, they accepted uh, all kind of gifts that would pervert judgment. And the Bible warns about that as we'll see as we go. They were more concerned about lining their pockets than with God's standard of righteousness. Even during those times, God will raise up bold prophets like Micah. Raise up those who will give the Word of God and reprove sin and will shine the light of God's Word into the dark world. And I want to remind us all this morning that we're called to be salt and light in the world. We are to be lights where we live. We're to be lights where we work. We're to be salt. Light shines upon the sin of this world to make it known. And the Bible says that if we will shine our lights, that men might see our good works, it'll glorify our Father which is in heaven. And so we have to be shining our light to those around us. We're to be salt, which preserves from corruption. We are the hope of the nation. Christians. Amen. We're the hope. We are the salt. We are the light. Jesus isn't walking among us today in bodily form. And He has given His Word to us to be the stewards of that, to be the disseminators of His Word. And we're to shine God's Word, but we're also to be the salt that talks about what corrupts. And when we lose Christian influence in leadership, we get what we're seeing today. And so we have to be mindful of what God has called us to do. We're all missionaries wherever we're at. Thank God for your place of employment. You have to put food on the table. But that's also your mission field. Amen. And so we have to be salt and light. We need to preserve the ways of good doctrine and holiness that keeps us from corruption. And if the world goes nuts like it's doing, we have to stand strong and say, no, we're not going to go down that path. You say, well, we're going to stick out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, you know, in a lot of ways, the Bible teaches we're a square peg in a round hole down here upon this earth. We just don't fit in. And so that's just the way it is. The question to the leadership at the end of this verse says, is it not for you to know judgment? They were to know the difference between right and wrong and then pass righteous sentence. To pass, a, um, according to God's word, the, the right sentence that would bring honor to God, that would bring honor upon His word, that would have no respect of persons, and that would just be the right thing to do. Just integrity. And so they were to uh, walk in integrity. They were to know the difference between right and wrong. This is, this is what God uh, wanted for Israel. In Deuteronomy 1, verses 13 through 17, it says, Take you wise men and understanding. And known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. And he answered me and said, The thing which thou hast spoken is good for us to do. 
So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, captains over hundreds, and captains over fifties, and captains over tens, and officers among your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it to me, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. Of course, that's Moses speaking to the people. Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 18 through 20 say, uh, Judges and officers shalt thou make thee in all thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee throughout thy tribes. And they shall judge the people with just judgment. Thou shalt not rest judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons. Neither take a gift. For a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of, right, of the righteous. That which is altogether just shalt thou follow, that thou mayest live and inherit the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So in order for things to function properly, there must be integrity in the land. And it needs to start at the top. Leadership needs to set the example on walking in integrity. And I wasn't alive during Watergate. I don't really know all about that, but I was alive during the Clinton years, and I remember when all that went down, and it was shocking that his approval ratings were going up. Where's the integrity? It's abuse of power, amen. Um, to coerce a young woman and to use your power that way. And yet, it was so topsy-turvy. And, and there was no integrity. It didn't start at the top. There, there are those, those who are in positions of leadership. They must not pervert judgment because it leads to a breakdown in society. And that's what we're seeing in America today. The, the key, God said, is to have no respect of persons. Which means um, I'm not to show favor if I'm a judge just because this person has more money than this person. There's no respect of persons. When it comes to the law, the law is the law. That's how it's supposed to be, right? Uh, the law is the law. If, if you're going to get docked for pay and this person doesn't, you're going to be upset because the law wasn't the law if y'all did the exact same thing. And so God here, he, he doesn't like it when we, we corrupt judgment. Uh, it isn't supposed to change based off the status of the offender. Just because somebody is high in office doesn't mean they should get special privilege when it comes to judgment. Remember the chant, lock her up at the Trump rallies? Why were people saying that? Well, the meaning was, the, the belief was she committed an offense worthy of jail time, but because of her status, she was catching a break. And, and God says, don't pervert judgment. Don't have respect to persons. There wasn't righteous judgment. And in that case, there was respect of persons. Well, we're going we're gonna to wink at some things because you're so high, we don't want to cause any kind of ripple throughout the nation. So it, it just causes problems when we do that. But what was warned about back in Deuteronomy by Moses, it had come to pass in Israel. The judges here, they're now taking gifts. They're receiving bribes. It was affecting their ability to judge righteously, to pass a just sentence. And as a, re as a result, those who were to no judgment... They had corrupted judgment. 
and, and, and God's getting angry with this. He's already angry at this point. And once judgment in the land becomes corrupted, God will bring judgment at some point upon that land because the land ends up in chaos. Because there's a breakdown in judgment. And, and, and people are just doing what they want to do. Psalm 82 verses 1 through 5 God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. And sometimes when you see little g gods, it's referring to earthly leadership as it is there in Psalm 82. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. Listen to this last phrase. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. It's chaos. When there's a breakdown in judgment. And the seeds of corruption are sown in the land when churches refuse to be the standard bearers of truth. That's where it starts. When we drop the ball. We have churches with pastors who forsake truth to gain the favor of the people. The favor of politicians. The favor of some group. They want favor in the land. Without truth, how is there reproof? If there's no truth, what do you say is right and wrong? Understand that we're experiencing judgment in our land. Not just because of the White House but because of the church house. And I hope you understand the domino effect that takes place in a nation like ours when the church is weak. Weak churches produce weak families. And weak families produce a weak nation. And as that weakness propagates throughout the land, you end up two generations later in the mess that we're, we're seeing today. Um, it doesn't take a whole lot of time. When we don't instill truth from the earliest ages, then we end up with the mentality of Pilate who said, what is truth? When Jesus was on trial. What is truth? And, and we end up with this, this mentality in, in, our, in our land. When judges don't know what truth is, there's major issues. And I've, I've long said we are now an oligarchy. We, we are not a republic as we should be. We are run by the judges. The will of the people in the state of California could vote down same-sex marriage, and yet one judge could rise up and say, no, we're not going to let that happen, and now we're right back to where we started. It's not the will of the people. It's the will of the judges. And when the judges are corrupt, we end up with the mess that we're in today. So many judges today are no longer concerned with truth. But they are more concerned with partisanship. Our Supreme Court rarely passes judgment based upon law and the Constitution. But they pass their judgment based upon their appointment. And so we have this Supreme Court where we have uh, quote-unquote Republican judges and Democratic judges. And all we do is pass based off of party lines. It's corruption. It's not going to the Constitution and saying, what is the law of the land? And so we have corruption. We have judges that aren't doing what they're supposed to do. What they raised their right hand and swore that they would do. Is everybody okay? 
And so we're living in this time where the judges are just corrupt. And it's causing all kinds of problems. When all these things are taken together, we can easily see why we have departed so far from our founding. We do have weak churches, weak families, weak judiciary. And all of that's a recipe for God's judgment. May God help us. Isaiah 59, 14 and 15. And judgment is turned away backward. And justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street. And equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth. And he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. God is angered when there's no judgment in the land. When there are no justices that will do right. When there's no equity. When truth has fallen in the street. And it all, it all starts to fall apart when we start turning away from God. That's when it all starts going down. You know what's amazing is, have you ever read the quotes from, is it John Jay? Was he the first justice, I think, in our founding? Uh, amazing man. And you read some of his writings and you read some of his quotes. And, and it's, it's clear the man was Christian. And so you, you read some of that and then you see what's happening today and it just blows your mind how far we've departed. I mean, we've gone off the rails. Uh, I'm going to get into that just a little bit here in a minute. In Hosea 4, 1 and 6, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. And then verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of God, I will also forget thy children. That passage applies to more than just, um, it, it applies more so to the priest than, than the, the judges, but we'll get to that a little bit later in this chapter on the priest. And so I'm sure we'll probably see that passage again. But you can clearly see the issue God has with those who should know better but still corrupt. And that's where, that's where my heart breaks for people that are caught up in such false doctrine in so-called churches because the leadership should know better. And I feel bad for the people that are caught up in it. There's a breakdown. Those who ought to be teaching truth, they stop and they corrupt it. This is the opening indictment that God had through the prophet Habakkuk. It says there in chapter 1 verse 4, Therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. We see how this happens in the beginning of verse 2 of our text of Micah chapter 3. Would you notice there in the beginning of verse 2? Who hate the good and love the evil. This is the chaos I mentioned earlier. This is what results. This is when the foundations are out of course. Is when we get to the place where we look at evil and we call it good. And we look at good and we call it evil. It's confusion. Remember this prophecy is some 2,700 years old. We sometimes think, man, this is as bad as it's ever been. No, we've just had it so good that we're just now realizing how good we've had it. Um, it's still going to get worse. And that's, I mean, I hope there's revival. I really do. And, and, and so it's been worse in history is all I'm saying. And sometimes I think we get stunned by how far we've moved. And, and by the extent of the depravity today, because we've never seen it. But 
Man, you read some of that stuff in the Old Testament. It was, it was just nasty. It was bad. Um, one, of the, one of the gutters of the scripture over there in Judges when they abuse a concubine all night long, she's laying at the door dead and the master cuts her up and sends her to the 12. I mean, we think we have it bad. And, and so I'm just saying, I think we've seen such a shift. I think we ought to be going... My God, we've had it so good, and we've, we're wasting it. We're wasting the opportunity we have. But I will say, I think the shock value today is just about gone. Uh, we're just about to that point where nothing no longer is, is shocking. And it, it's strange today how children, the children coming up today will never know a difference. That's heartbreaking to me. They're being indoctrinated in grade school now. All they will know is what wasn't too long ago still considered abominable is now acceptable. I don't know if I worded that right, but what not too long ago was considered wrong in this country, they're, all they're going to know is that it's acceptable because that's what they're being taught. There's no truth any longer. When a person can be genetically born a male or a female but can say, no, I'm not, there's no truth. Where's the truth in that? When we think it's appropriate for a man to one day decide, I feel like a woman, so I can go into a woman's locker room, that's no truth. It's chaos. Just so you can go into a lady's restroom. It's a result of what, what I've been saying. We've got corruption from leadership down. And the churches have been silent. The judges are silent. The White House has been silent. And here we are today. We are now in a nation where just about anything goes. Don't you tell me what's right and wrong. It's my understanding that Facebook now offers 58 different options for gender identity. According to Pew Research, as of December 2019, 42% of Americans believe that there should be more options for a person's gender than just male and female. When you drill that down to ages 18 to 29, that number jumps to 53%. And if you look at the breakdown of the numbers, the older you get, the lower that number gets. It's down to like 35% for, the, for the, the eldest that they surveyed. But then you get down to the youngest at 18, and it's up to 53%. And so the pendulum is swinging. And the balance is about to tip. Seven states already offer a third option for gender on driver's license. And four more states plan to do so in 2020. It's chaos. It's chaos in the land. And I'm not trying to be harsh, but I'll bet you there's, there's probably almost every family in here has somewhere in their branch of tree dealing with this. Because it's reality today. Either homosexuality or transgenderism has it's reached every family. And, and listen, we as Baptists, we better wise up and start learning how to deal with it. Because it's here. And we can't just put our head in the sand and act like we're never going to have to counsel anybody that's going through that. We are. But it's chaos when churches like ours need to state that the pastor will be a man and will have been a man since he was born. That's chaos. That's chaos. We have to start writing that into our statements of faith now. So that we're covered legally to say, no, sorry, uh, Jamie, 
sorry if your name's Jamie, but I needed to pick a kind of a gender neutral, Adrian. Um, <laughs> when we were in Korea, there was a male Adrian, and she, uh, anyway. You know, sorry, Jamie, you were born a woman. Do you see how crazy it's getting? It's chaos. What's going on out there? Good is now considered evil. And evil is now considered good. Isaiah 5, 20 and 21 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And the way you pull this off is you get the youth corrupted through academia. That's how you pull it off. You corrupt the youth, and here's how Satan's been working cleverly behind the scenes, and initially we thought it was great. You know, hey, we'll offer you preschool. Okay, awesome. Well, guess what? Now we're taking little three- and four-year-olds, and we're indoctrinating them that you get to choose what gender you want to be. So we, we, we now have this school system where in certain states, man, they will blast you if you try to homeschool your kid because that's state and federal money for where that seat's empty. They lose that funding. And so uh, money, once again, is the root of all evil. And, and so we, we see this corruption that's going on because truth is falling in the street. Evil is now good. Good is now evil. It's topsy-turvy. It's in chaos out there, and I feel so bad for these children growing up today. And eventually what happens after you win them in academia is they grow up and become politicians. They become people of influence in the community. They become the next generation of teachers in our schools. It's like a cancer, and it just spreads. And I want to be clear that I'm not against any who are genuinely confused. It breaks my heart, to be honest with you, that we have so corrupted a generation of young people that they don't know. And that's heartbreaking to me. And I think we need to reach out to them. Uh, I want to reach as many as I can with the, with the gospel. But I'll also go on record as saying I'm absolutely against those who know better, but still teach our children such confusing life choices at such a young age. How do they process that? And the parents that encourage it. Don't worry, I'm used to getting hate mail. I get it almost uh, every service. That's a Sunday school, a Wednesday night, or a Sunday night. I do pretty good on Sunday mornings. So it's okay if you look at me like a bunch of statues. But, but that's where we're at. And it's, it's, it's these children who are trying to figure things out that they have no business even thinking about yet. It's angering, and it angers God. Matthew 18, verses 6 and 7 but whoso shall offend, which means to entrap, entice, to trip up. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. On Judgment Day, I would not want to give an account of confusing children on the issue of their gender. That pur purposefully taught wrong. Taught lies. All for the sake of pressing an ungodly agenda. Because listen, 
the only way you can get such evil in a land is to tear down the Bible. Water down the Bible. Cast out the Bible. Cast doubt upon God's Word. Make the Bible seem archaic. Is that not where we're at today? Because once there's no more moral absolutes, where does it end? Back when the homosexual agenda was being pressed upon us, you had preachers standing up and say, it's going to lead to this and it's going to lead to that. And people said, no, it's never going to go that far. And it is. It's going there now. We have these idiotic women down in Florida who married a tree to save it. Where's it going to end? I'll tell you where it's going to end. It's going to end in the gutter of Leviticus where there's bestiality. I used to read that stuff. Why did God warn against that? We're on the precipice. And see, when people were saying this back when the homosexual movement came out, no, 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 you're crazy. Really? Now it's not just the L, the G, the B, the T. Now it's the Q, the plus, the... What was once deemed good is now evil. Proverbs 17, 15 says, He that justifieth the wicked and he that condemneth the just, even they both are abomination to the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3.16 says, And moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. And listen to this passage in Malachi. It, to me, so describes America today. Malachi 2.17 Ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? I, that verse to me just screams 2020. It's bad enough that we're calling evil good and good evil. But just think about it now. In America, we are doing so in the name of Christianity. And like Malachi said all the way back there, that you're calling it good, evil, evil, good in the sight of the Lord. And that's what we're doing. Our pulpits are corrupt. Our churches are corrupt. And we're saying that God's okay with it. There are those who actually suggest that God is on board with this insanity. And that we who dare to stand on God's unchanging word are out of God's will. And that we are radicalized. There are those actually preaching from pulpits. Where the building has a cross adorning it somewhere. Saying that God is okay and is delighting in what's going on in our progressive socialist movement today in America. That God's okay with that even though it so blatantly goes against His Word. And for those who don't believe in God, they callously ask, where's the God of judgment? Where is your God? You say he's against it. Where's he at? Where's the judgment? I still stand in awe of just how accurate this Bible is over 20 centuries later. And it's amazing because we're the ones who haven't changed. And yet we're the ones who are labeled. Why are we being called the troublemakers? 
we're just doing what we did back there. It's chaos. We're considered the problem. Proverbs 24, 21 and 22. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. Meddle not with them that are given to change. For their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both? But God never changes. His word never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His word is forever settled in heaven. What he said was wrong then is wrong now. It feels more and more like we are living in the days of the judges when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And if we aren't there yet, we're definitely heading there. But the Bible says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. There is a generation that are pure in their own eyes. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes. And Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. You see, it's never good when a people feel like they have risen above God's Word. That they have risen above God's standard of holiness. Well, preacher, that doesn't apply anymore because that's under the old covenant. You better be careful how far you push that. God doesn't change His mind. It not only causes confusion and chaos, but notice how cruel and oppressive it ends up being upon the people. Look at the rest of verse 2 and verse 3. Who pluck off their skin from off them and their flesh from off their bones. Who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them. And they break their bones and chop them in pieces. As for the pot... And as flesh within the cauldron. These are supposed to be those who take care of the people. But because they hate the good and love the evil, they devour the people. There's no concern. There's, there's no concern for the people. They want all they can get. And it doesn't matter what condition they leave them in. So long as they get what they want. Ezekiel twenty two twenty seven says, Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey, to shed blood, and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. Same chapter, verse 29 of Ezekiel 22. The people of the land have used oppression, and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. Zephaniah 3.3 3, Her princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves. They gnaw uh, they gnaw not the bone till the marrow. They, they crush the bones. The imagery here in Micah is pretty clear, isn't it? That's pretty graphic language. It's, it's when, when, corruption, when judgment is corrupt, when leadership is corrupt, it leads to this idea of wild animals devouring their prey to get whatever you can get out of it. They remove the skin and they eat the flesh from off the bones. They break the bones open to get to the marrow. It's barbarous. One commentator likened it to, what is it when you, when you eat humans? Cannibalism. It's like cannibalism. John Gill wrote, 
The design of the expression is to show what rigor, cruelty, and oppressions these rulers exercised on the people and by their heavy taxes and levies and exorbitant penalties and fines pillaged and plundered them of all they had in the world and left them quite bare as bones stripped of their skin and flesh. What's interesting about this, and, and I didn't catch this at first, but as I was studying this, I, I, I noticed that this is a common opinion that what I just read here, verses 2 and 3, is actually a contrast of what we covered last week at the end of chapter 2 with the breaker. The breaker being a prophecy of Christ, being the good shepherd who goes before his sheep, protects his sheep, makes a way for them. And, and here we see that those who should have been taking care of the sheep are destroying the sheep. There's possibly that contrast here. It makes sense to me. Instead of feeding the sheep, they're cruelly feeding off of the sheep. The sheep are being devoured. Listen to Ezekiel 34, 1-5. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that, that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, ye clothe you with the wool, ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which was broken, neither have ye brought again that which was driven away, neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have ye ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd, and they became uh, meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered." This is what it looks like when there's a breakdown in leadership. Anytime a nation has a breakdown of the godly foundations that we have had and it gets corrupt, this is what it's going to end up looking like. It's devouring. It's cruel. Evil becomes good and good becomes evil. It's oppressive. And it spares nobody in the path. Everyone's at risk so long as whoever's exercising the corrupt judgment gets what they want. And, and I want to leave you with this. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our military. They're, they've raised their hand to say they'll support and defend the Constitution and what the president says um, when he gives an order. And, and yet, we, we've seen already in the past how that can go awry. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our president. Uh, I've never seen a man under such attack. And I don't know if the man's saved or not, but I'm just going to give you my two cents. He's been a good president. And he stood for, for things that we stand for. But uh, you need to pray for this election coming up. We better pray for this country. We are one election away from socialism in full swing. It's already happened behind the scenes, but it's going to be full swing in the open if we don't, if we don't start praying for our country. And I... I'm already saddened that my children won't know some of the liberties that have been lost just in my lifetime. And some of you old-timers are sitting there going, you have no idea how bad it's, it's, it's gotten. So we need to pray. We not only need to pray for our nation and our nation's leaders, but we need to pray for our state, our local leaders. Um, I'm, I'm glad I live in South Dakota. I mean that. Um, I'm doubly glad that I live West River. What a blessing. What a blessing. But we need, to, we need to keep praying. I believe, and I know there's varying opinions on this, but I believe as Christians we ought to be active in voting. If there's a godly candidate, vote for him. 
I do believe there are those who still want to do good in, in government. Thank God for those. Now, we are those who are supposed to know the Bible. This is our Sunday school class. We're, we're supposed to know the Bible. We're supposed to know judgment. And I said it earlier, but we're the only hope to turn the tide in our nation. Christians. Bible-believing Christians. And it's so sad because I can get up and I can preach about the power of prayer and all these kind of things, and yet I just don't think we're hungry enough. I don't think we want it bad enough. If, if it's the same God, like I've been saying, then it's the same God who says, I'm not willing that any should perish. We've got something off. We've got a hunger and thirst for God. Before this nation will get fixed, there has to be a revival in God's house first. Let's pray.